Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of Three Course Politics. And I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And we have a jam-packed episode for you today. Today on the pod, we're going to talk about your appetizers, all going to be about the Biden campaign. He's been pretty active lately. There's some more polling out, and we're going to analyze if that has changed the game for him. Our entree is all going to be at all about Black Lives Matter and also what the protests mean for 2020, because we are a politics podcast, so we want to really focus on what impact do these protests have and could they have on the election. Life under lockdown, we're going to be talking about Drew Brees. He's the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints, and he recently spoke out about the protests, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about that. And your dessert, we're going to be back with a a little bit of VP, Vice President Sweepstakes. There's been more chatter about who Joe Biden's Vice President is going to be, and we're going to go into some some of the leading candidates for it. Have you subscribed to the podcast? If you have not, please do so now. It'll help get your episodes quicker. It'll be right in your podcast app. All you have to do is, uh, wherever you're listening, click and subscribe. And if you want to go one step further, rate us and be honest. You can give us five stars or you can give us five stars. So you only have two choices there. It will really help spread the word. Josh, what do you think about all this? Yeah, this all sounds great. And I know that Trump has been uh, his usual self these past couple weeks, and it's hard not to talk about Trump, but we're going to try and focus more on uh, the protests and Dems because the Trump stuff is just too depressing. If it was any other president, he would have been impeached by now. So let's focus on trying to get a new president come November 3rd. Yeah, I mean, the amount of stuff, the Trump stuff we have to talk about this week is is insane. (laughs) (laughs) It's too much. Literally insane. Yeah, it's too much. And with that, talk about insane, Josh has a really good pre-dinner shot for you, and it's coming up right now. So here is your pre-dinner shot question. The question is, name the three reported states that have offered to host the RNC or the Republican National Convention. Now, it's supposed to be held in North Carolina, and Governor Cooper has told the RNC and Trump that they cannot hold it there unless they have masks and they significantly reduce the number of people who are attending. Trump doesn't want to do that because he wants the show and the circumstance and all that. So there have been three states and three governors that have told Trump, hey, if you want to come here and host the RNC here, you can come to our state. So what are those three reported states? There may be others, but I'm talking about the three that have been uh, nationally reported. So there is your pre-dinner shot. And if you want to go to the RNC and get coronavirus, be my guest. <laughs> Three Course Politics does does not endorse anyone going to the RNC or the DNC for that matter. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be someone at the RNC who says coronavirus. So I don't know all these Republicans are thinking. Just Anyway, that was an excellent question, John. Thank you. And your appetizer about the Biden campaign is coming up right now. So your appetizer today is all about the Biden campaign. We're going to look at what he's been doing, uh, some polling, and Biden's plan as well. Okay, so Biden has been uh, pretty active recently. He uh, on Wednesday he gave a speech in uh, Philadelphia, and if you haven't watched the speech, it's definitely worth taking a look. Uh, I thought it was the best speech that Biden has given. I thought he showed a tremendous empathy for people who are going through violence and systemic racism. Uh, I thought he met the moment 
of what a president should sound like. Um, in times of this, times like these, the nation always looks to the president to say something and say, you know, America will pull through, we're going to be okay, and we have to change. Uh, and Trump is either incapable of doing that or just won't do it. And so Biden kind of met that moment, and there was a nationally televised event for him, which is huge. Trump dominates the news so often that whenever Biden can get out in front of the cameras and look presidential and sound good, uh, it's really important for him. Hills, did you see the speech, and what did you think of it? I did see the speech, and I completely agree with you. I thought he was wonderful in it. I thought he was empathetic. He's He provided the type of you know moral leadership we need at this moment, and it was a really, really good contrast to Trump. And I think these contrasting moments, because right now, you know, Biden is not going to get the media he deserves, but these moments where people could see, okay, I may not know what Biden stands for, but he seems like a really good guy as opposed to President President Dipshit doing what he's doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think those are really good. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was particularly powerful when he talked about George Floyd, um, which is kind of the person who started the protest with his murder. And let's take a listen to what Biden said. Before I speak to the economic situation, I have to take a moment to address something that the president said this morning. Toward the end of his remarks, uh, President Trump said he hopes that, quote, George Floyd is looking down and seeing this is a great day for our country. He was speaking of a man who uh, was brutally killed by an act of needless violence and by a larger tide of injustice that has metastasized on this president's watch as he's moved to split us based on race and religion and ethnicity. George Floyd's last words, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, have echoed all across this nation and, quite frankly, around the world. So there you have right there. I mean, I think you just can see in that clip just the empathy and the level of presidentialness that Biden has in him because he's been in this before. He's talked with families who have lost loved ones. He, you know, remember uh, Ferguson, which he and Obama dealt with. Biden's been here before. He knows what to say. I just thought it was it was a really, really good speech for him. You know, and he's also been, remember South Carolina, I think in 2015, when the white nationalists shot up the church, he went down to South mm -hmm. Carolina. You know, he was one of the first ones to go down there. And I think people remember that. And I think he remembers that too. So I would love more speeches with him presenting some sort of policy at the end to give kind of people like a reason to vote for him. But I think this was an excellent start as a resurgence of, of, you know, his campaign now that maybe the direct threat from COVID is a little bit lower. So I really mm -hmm. thought this was a good move on his part. Yeah, absolutely. So if we go to other Biden events, the day before that, he met with church members of a black church in Delaware. Uh, and then he was in Philadelphia and then just a couple days ago, he was out in Delaware meeting with college students, trying to drum up the young support. And I think as COVID continues to, uh, whether it's not subsided, but as states continue to open, I think Biden will certainly um, be able to do more, not with big crowds. He can just get out and meet people. I think for a long time, there was a fear of, oh, Biden's stuck in his basement and this and that. And it's nice to see him be able to actually get out. And I think part of that is because Delaware had a very strict stay-at-home order. And Biden was abiding by that. And not much he could do. With Delaware starting to open up, other states starting to open up, it'd be nice to see Biden uh, kind of get out into 
the spotlight a little bit more, start to uh, meet with uh, black voters, white voters, working class voters, um, anyone uh, that he can reach, uh, go out and actually reach, uh, and whether it not be through uh, like physical rallies, but you know, virtual town halls, or just talking to a group of people in the church that he talked with in Delaware. There were people there. They were all socially distanced, six feet apart, and everyone had had a mask on, and and it was good, and it was a safe event, and I think Biden can do more of that because that's when he thrives. Biden thrives when he can be in a one-on-one situation with a small group of people and kind of just empathize with them because Biden's gone through more tragedy than anyone should have to endure. Um, and it's good that he can kind of speak to this moment. I don't tell anything about it, Biden campaigning more. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you hit on a lot of really good points. He was abiding, abiding by, <laughs> I, I just, I like the play on words, but you're right. You're right. He, he should be getting out more. Um, I particularly like, his videos when he is, I think, upstairs and there's like flowers behind him. I think it just points him in a fresher light than his basement, which is a little bit like too dark wood for me. Anyway, that's my mm-hmm. own my own opinion on that. But you're right. He, I think these small events are really good, especially because he had that snafu over Memorial Day about the you ain't black comment on the show, which he was a joke and it was a stupid joke. But, you know, this is, this is really, and we're going to talk about this more, he, he needs to get the black vote out for him. You know, this election right. may be decided by getting a higher share of whites and increasing black turnout. So all these events showing this contrast, showing that he is listening, he is, he is on the side of the black community, especially, you know, in this moment, I think is really, really smart of his campaign. And it really shows, you know, even if some folks in the black community may be interested in Trump and what his, you know, he's because he's been pushing really hard. Um, he's, they have a whole initiative set up to try and decrease black turnout for Biden. Um, but this is really important to, to repair those relationships and get him get him out in, a, in an area where he needs to do well the most. Yeah, and I say one more thing. And the church meeting he went to on Tuesday uh, or Monday, um, there, there was a video on Biden's Instagram. Uh, and it was just him sitting there taking notes and listening. And I just thought, like, wow, like, like the idea of, like, the guy who's going to be president or wants to be president, who was a former vice president, sitting there and taking notes of what people are saying, like, that's got to resonate with people. I thought that was powerful. You'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, if, if someone's taking notes, even if they're bullshit, I mean, they're at least, you know, they're... I don't think I think he's being genuine about it too. I think he really took notes on people were saying and is really going to take them back because that's the type of person he is. Oh yeah, I don't think that was a stunt. I don't. I mean, who looks at Biden's Instagram except for people who are going to vote for Biden? <laughs> that's true. So, that's true. And reporters. Yeah, true. So let's move on to polling. So there have been uh, six national polls that came out this week. They are from NPR, PBS, in the Marist poll an IBD slash TIPP poll, an Emerson poll, a CNBC poll, a Monmouth poll, and uh, an Economist YouGov poll. Okay, so I took the last uh, six national polls and I averaged them all together. And Biden is up seven points nationally, technically 6.8, or end up to seven points nationally over Trump. Uh, For the record, at this time in the campaign, uh, Obama and Clinton, Obama in 2008 and 2012, and Clinton in 2016, um, they were up somewhere from one to two points. So Hills, we did it. It's over, right? L- 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 election one. 
We won. Seven points. He's blew out the Electoral College, and he's won all 538 Electoral votes. We did it. We did it. Uh, no. Look, polls are only a snapshot in time. And we don't know if this is likely voters, registered voters. And if you look at the actual swing states, it's still very, very close. The election is still five months away. You know, so what can you do? Uh, the first thing you can do is you can donate to the Biden campaign and donate to Act Blue, which helps elect Democrats up and down the ballot. Positive America is doing an, an initiative called Adopt a State, where you pledge to get one of six states and you adopt that state. And they, they'll give you training about things that you can do, how you can help, calls you can make, a script, basically. Hills and I have each adopted a state. Hills, what's the state that you adopted? I adopted the beautiful, great, stupendous state of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. <laughs> and Hills and I differ here because I adopted Arizona. So Hills and I are going to be a little bit of a competition about whether Biden's going to win Pennsylvania or Arizona, hopefully both. Uh, so if you want to go there, you can um, adopt a state. Also, you, and this was mentioned, I think, also in Pots of America. Someone mentioned uh, posting positive social media posts about Joe Biden. I think it's very easy to post negative things about why Trump's terrible or why Trump sucks. But take a second, and if, so, if there's one thing that, you, that, you, that Biden has said that you agree with, post it on social media. You know, spread his message. Um, I think that can be more powerful than just posting negative ads and negative rants about Trump. It's like, you know what? I appreciate that Biden's trying to do this. And here's the, 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 the initiative. Go here for more information. I think just try, the more that we can, we as Democrats and we as Biden supporters can do to promote his message on social media, I think it's going to send a more of a message than just uh, trying to post negative stuff about Trump because there's so much negative stuff about Trump. He does it to himself. We can start posting positive things about Biden. That's a really smart idea because there's a and then you know Biden has to do this has to provide some of this positivity for people to go off on. You know he's got to have signature policies start rolling them out so people can kind of get excited about them. But that's true. You need to you, instead of posting negatively about Trump, you need to post positively. Um, why you're voting for Biden instead of against Trump. And on the Adopt the State, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, I'm a little, uh, I, you know, Josh and I both went to school in Pennsylvania, and I w we won it in 2012, and I w we were both part of that, and, you know, as volunteers and Obama supporters. But it went, it went red in 2016, and I'm a little pissed off about that, and I want to help change it back to where it should be which is blue, always. So, but yeah, no, it's, it's good that Biden is up in this polling. Some people, some people I've seen on Twitter, some election analysts are like, well, there's a pandemic and mass protests and riots and all this other stuff. And Biden is only up two to three or four in swing states. How is that possible? And I'm just like, you know, like we live in an environment where if you're right-leaning, you only watch Fox News. You're like you, you only live in a media cocoon. It's not as easy to transform people's opinion anymore. So like I don't think I think it's actually a really good thing he's up, and he hasn't he's up this without doing all the important work he's got to do. So imagine when his campaign kicks into high gear, what how what his numbers will look like then. Right. My counter to that is Biden hasn't campaigned yet. Trump has been doing nothing but campaigning. Right, right. From the, from, from the coronavirus task force meeting, which just became a campaign ad, to, you know, 
visiting factories. Like Trump is in full-on campaign mode. Biden hasn't campaigned yet. And the fact that he's just now getting out and starting to campaign when he's already up in those swing states, I mean, I mean, you look at uh, Arizona and most election analysts think Arizona is now lean dem, which is huge. Um, it takes the pressure off having to win Wisconsin, which is very, very close right now. So um, that's why I adopted Arizona. But, you know, I think I think we'll see how things go. But, um, you know, I think Biden being up right now is certainly good. Um, and I don't think it's, it's, it's a bad thing at all. Let's talk about Biden's plan, though. So Hills and I have uh, coming up with a five-point plan that Biden should do moving forward. First one is Biden should try and get as much TV time as possible. We talked about his speech in Philadelphia. It was covered by all the major networks. The more TV time Biden can get, the more he can change the, the talk on uh, TV from Trump to Biden, the better. Two is he should go to the states that he can. He was in Philadelphia. That's a huge, I mean, Pennsylvania is huge. You know, when he's able to go to Michigan and Wisconsin, he should go and be able to go to North Carolina and Florida. And if he can get out to Arizona, he should do that. Go where you can go beyond just Delaware. <laughs> uh, the third is he should use his surrogates when he can. He should use Obama and Bernie and Warren. I know quarantine is, is, is happening and COVID and, you know, uh, protests and stuff, but Biden should use his supporters. He used Obama. I think Obama spoke to the nation about uh, the racial stuff, and that wasn't because of Biden. Obama just wanted to do it. But he should use those moments. Use Obama and Biden, and uh, use Obama and Bernie and Warren. Uh, number four is organize, organize, organize. He has to organize. He can't do it the traditional way. He can't do it through knocking on doors right now. It's just not feasible. You have to have a strong social media game. You have to have a strong internet game, a strong digital game. Uh, and you have to have people organized and have a way to vote. And number five is he has to get the VP pick right. We'll talk about that later. But the VP pick, I think, right now is very important. Uh, who he picks, is, I think, is uh, going to be um, more crucial than it would be in other elections. Hillary, do you want to add anything about Biden's plan? I could not agree with all of that more. I think all of that is 100% correct. Go to the states, use the surrogates, put them out, put them out early, put them out often. Honestly, like we need to win this election. And everyone who says they're going to support you, like, you know what, if you want to promise them a cabinet position, go for it, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. have them out. I mean, I think we need to use Obama carefully and strategically, but we should put them out as early as they think they need him. The VP pick is correct. And where we're going to do a f uh, five and a half would be to put out three signature policies that people are going to know you by. Because Trump was build the wall and look at look at what we got. We got him elected, right? You know, people knew what he stood for. And even if they didn't like it, they still knew it off the top of their head. So Biden needs at least like three to four things that people are going to be like, okay, why are you voting for Biden? Well, he says he wants to do this for me or he wants to do this. Something that is easy to repeat, like... As much as Trump's campaign was seeped in racism and homophobia and everything else, you know, because Trump is a five-year-old at heart, he made a message for five-year-olds, right? And people, people <laughs> remembered it. So I don't think we need to, we need to, you know, make a message that's like stupid. But I think we need Biden's campaign, along with each of these things, needs to have a message for people to vote for. And that will help all of these five really good principles you just laid out, Josh. I think that'll be like the founding block of it. 
Uh, Hills and I should note that at the time of recording, uh, Biden has clinched the number of delegates he needs. He needed 1,991. He got 1,995. So he, he has officially clinched the nomination. So uh, congratulations to Vice President Biden. I also want to congratulate you, Josh, because for, for listeners, we did not talk about this, but we had an off-air bet about when Biden would clinch the nomination. I said it was going to be next week. Josh said <laughs> it was going to be this past week, but I'm going to give it to Josh because it is not next week. So thus, Josh wins. So uh, Thank he, you. he did. You, you said it was going to be this week, and I said, mm, now, but you won. Congratulations. Thank you. I will gladly give up my win for a Biden victory on uh, November 3rd. You sure? You sure that's a fair trade? Uh, No, yeah, you're right. I'll just keep my my, my victory. I'll I'll keep it. I'll keep it. (laughs) Hey, you get the big board from now on. That's that's all I want. All I want is the big board. Move over Steve Kornacki. Move over John King. Let Josh put on the big board. I'd watch that on repeat. I would honestly, (laughs) I would pay, I would pay, I would pay monthly for that. I would pay up to 20, 20, uh, 1999 for that. Not more than that penny more. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been your appetizer. Your entrees come up next. For your entree today, we're all going to talk about the protest, the protests around the country, Black Lives Matter, and especially the consequences and what it means for election 2020. So first off, uh, we want to say, you know, Black Lives Matter. We want to acknowledge that we are two white men speaking about this. We firmly believe and always have believed that Black Lives Matter, and they always have and should be treated with respect. We're going to cover what's happening and focus on the consequences on what this could have for the election, as I just said, since we are a politics podcast. However, that does not it is not because we don't care about racial injustice or think that there isn't systemic racism happening in the United States. It is because this is what uh, you know we decided to talk about. And in our show notes, we're going to link a link from Crooked Media about organizations you can donate to to support Black Lives, bail funds, other nonprofit organizations. And it includes more resources for you to read about what you can do to help and how you can talk about this in your lives. So we just wanted to preference that segment about this. So what happened and what's happening? So if you've been living under a rock, under another rock or so, and you don't know what's happening, we're going to give you a quick synopsis of of everything. So police murdered George Floyd of Minneapolis by kneeling on his neck. There was a video about this and it was like eight and a half minutes and he clearly said he couldn't breathe and he was taken to the hospital and, you know, it had an immediate consequence of, of causing death. Um, Whether it was kneeling uh, on his neck directly or whether that caused something else, it's pretty clear that that was the cause of death. Protests started in Minneapolis and then spread to every major and non-major American city. Most of the protests have been peaceful and called for the end of police brutality, especially against blacks, where police brutality is disproportionately larger in this country. Police have responded with mixed reactions. There are hundreds of images of police brutality against the very people protesting against police brutality. And a lot of times for seemingly no reason for the amount of force used by police in these videos. I will say there are are also lots of videos of police not doing that as well. So 
there are mixed images, but the ones that have been shared widely are ones that are not pretty to watch of pushing, beating, everything under the sun. So it is hard to watch. Um, there has been rioting and looting in some cities, but you know, in my in my research, there is a very small percentage. So, but that is that is something that is also shared widely on news networks as well for certain reasons. Then we have Trump who erected his own giant fence wall in front of the White House, tear-gassing protesters so he can hold up a Bible for no reason other than take a photo op in front of a church for his evangelical base with an all-white staff, I mind you, a very authoritarian move. He also used the phrase, coined in 1968, that when the, quote, looting starts, the shooting starts, unquote, which literally meant at the time that police will shoot looters which, again, is murder. It doesn't matter if they're looting. You take them into custody and they are tried in a court of law. That's not what we do here. Polling indicates, and I will post the link to these, these polls, that the public is on the side of the protesters and largely on the, the side of against police brutality and all that. And the D.C. mayor renamed a street Black Lives Matter Plaza and had Black Lives Matter painted on the street right near the White House as a message to the president that Black Lives do matter and he can't ignore it. Josh, big, big, heavy topic. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Yeah, Whew, man, heavy topic. You know, the murder of George, George Floyd is definitely what started this, but this has been happening for some time. There was the murder of Ahmaud Arbery uh, in Georgia. There was the murder of Breonna Taylor. Uh, in Kentucky, and Breonna Taylor still has no justice for her. So this has been something that has been going on for a while now, but it wasn't just George Floyd. It was all these recent events. I think George Floyd was the straw that broke Camel's back, so to speak. The images of police has kind of made the point of the protesters. Protesters are speaking out against police brutality, and (laughs) the police respond with brutality. Uh, And it kind of makes the point, you know, that this is not okay. And uh, this morning, CNN and Sesame Street were doing a uh, r- racism uh, town hall and taking questions from listeners about how to talk about this with their kids. And, you know, it's it's really hard, especially for African-American families. You know, Hills and I, as he mentioned at the top, two white males, so we can never know what it's like to go through this, but we, we can be allies and we can listen and we can support and it's kind of all that we, we can do. Trump's response has been anything but uh, presidential. You know, I think his response has just been that of someone who's fearful, someone who's a coward, someone who, who is in way over their head and doesn't know what they're doing. It's really good to see that the polling indicates here that we're on the protester side. It was like 75% of people are with the protesters. And you think back to uh, Ferguson in 2014, it was like 50%. So... This is definitely a, a movement that's growing, and obviously 75% is still too low. There should be 100% of people who are the protesters because they're protesting about the right thing. But it's a heavy topic, and it's something that I think it's important to talk about. Um, and, you know, if you're not talking about it, if you're not, uh, you know, educating yourself and listening, then you're not doing, you're not doing anything. You're, you're, you're doing essentially what Trump is doing. Uh, I think it's important to talk about, it's important to listen, it's important to support and donate and do what we can to support uh, African-American lives and livelihood here in the United States. I think that was extremely well said. I think if you have a further interest 
The link that is in our show notes will definitely help get you the resources and put you in, in front of the organizations that are doing just that. And we're going to go into why this all matters. So obviously the first reason is that to treat black lives with the same respect as others and to end the abusive behaviors that lead to further broken lives. I mean, people say all lives matter and no one is saying all lives don't matter, but all lives don't matter if black lives do not matter. And everything under the sun shows that blacks are incarcerated and and beaten and uh, face much more abuse than any other segment. So it's it's not that all lives don't matter, it's that we need to ensure that black lives do matter. So, but again, we're going to be covering the politics of this. So a lot of Americans are watching Trump badly mishandle the race issue of our time. I think badly is an, uh, an understatement of how badly I think Trump is mishandling this. And we see this because many military and some in the GOP are coming out against Trump. We had General Mattis come out the other day, you know, make his statement, which is a pretty big thing for a pretty well-respected figure like him. I think he could have done a little bit more, but I think it was a really good first start. And that has a lot of leaders in the military and, and Republicans. A lot of cover is given because Mattis made that statement. So I think that's really important that he provided cover for them to criticize Trump. Again, you have Senator Murkowski from Alaska. She doesn't do much, <laughs> but she came out saying that she wasn't sure if she was going to support Trump for re-election. It doesn't seem like a lot, but we have to actually reward this defection, however small it is, because if Republicans are doing what they think are sticking their necks out to criticize Trump, and they think that's a really big deal on their part, we have to reward that, even if we know it's not what a sane person or someone who's a hero should be treated like, we need to reward it, because then they're going to be inclined to do more of it. And Hills, it's also important to, re to realize, I think, that Mattis came out, <clears throat> but also General John Kelly also came out and said that uh, it was very short. He was like, he was asked about Trump's uh, walk to, the, to the, the church and the photo op. And he said, if I was in the White House, I would have advised heavily against it. It's not a good look. Um, so Trump wanted to surround himself in the very beginning of his administration with strong men, generals you know, tough guys. And now these tough guys are coming out saying Trump's dangerous. He's divisive. Um, you know, he's, uh, you know, not equipped to handle this. Uh, and Trump is now responding by criticizing them. He came out and said that he fired Mattis and gave him the name Mad Dog, both of which are not true. Um, so anyone who is criticizing Trump is getting backlash from that. And you're right, we have to, I mean, in some sense, we have to reward, but we also have to realize, like, you guys should have come out a long time ago. If it's, if, if it's taken Lisa Murkowski, literally Trump turning the American military on the American people, and Lisa Murkowski needs to look in the fucking mirror and, you know, do some soul searching. The whole GOP does, honestly. But you're right, you're right. Trump is very petty. I mean, his, his tweet about Mattis, which is false i mean mattis resigned he didn't fire him <laughs> he did not he didn't fire him he's just so petty that anyone who criticizes him he like goes it's like the gop should have just impeached him in 2017 when it was very clear he did many wrong things and they would have been done with this already anyway so we have to reward the defection and many people are coming out uh on the gop side to criticize trump about this which is good which is showing that they have some little bit of a moral fiber left 
It's showing in polling. We just went through the polling, but you know, even after COVID, Biden is starting to open up a small but consistent lead in every single battleground state and more. National polls are really good, but of course, national polls are not battleground state polls. And but in battleground state polls, Biden is up, I think, around two to three points in almost in most of them, uh, with the exception of North Carolina and some of maybe the more redder ones. But still, it's showing like this is having an impact on Trump's polling and his election prospects because I think people just see kind of their maybe they're they're like 41 million Americans out of jobs right now and they see this happening and maybe they have different comfort levels with the level of protests going on but still they see Trump acting in a way that is not reassuring that is scary that is just tone deaf and even if you don't even if you're on the opposite side of Black Lives Matter which is a terrible side to be on <laughs> like you still can see Trump being like what is he doing like what what is he even talking about like it's just he doesn't even inspire confidence yeah and actually Hills Biden is now up in every battleground state from as much as four points in Pennsylvania to one point in North Carolina the average is Biden up in every single battleground state Florida Pennsylvania Wisconsin North Carolina Arizona and Florida he is all up he's up in all of them anywhere from no more than four points but no less than uh, one point in North Carolina. Four points in a battleground state is really good. Yeah. It's really good. And and I think in the next couple of weeks, you know, polling is being done now, and it was done last week about these protests. So we're going to be seeing more and more polling as the time goes on, especially as we get you know further and further from the start of these protests. Number four, the same young Americans Biden needs to vote for him are engaged and looking to leaders right now to perform and be consistent. They are looking to Democratic leaders, governors, and looking to Biden to give them a message. Because even if the some of the, the short-term issues of like direct, like should police use chokeholds and any of that, um, are solved by a couple of orders from mayors and governors, there still needs to be a system change about this. And the people that Biden needs to vote for him in November are out in the streets right now, and he needs to capitalize that. And I think he's starting to do that with the speeches and and being, you know, doing the right things and showing up with protesters and, and visiting protests and listening to the black community. But I think he needs to do more about that, and I think he is. Number five, policing issues could lead to impacting a vice presidential choice and become a major issue in the fall for black turnout. One of his, uh, I mean, two of his, of the most prominent VP contenders have backgrounds in law enforcement, and that's Kamala Harris and Val Demings. And we're going to talk about that in the dessert, but it could impact his vice presidential selection. Josh, do you want to do uh, the last one we got here of why it matters? Yeah. The only thing why it matters is we're talking about why protests and all this matters. Protests matter because protests also work. If you take a look at what's been going on, it's not enough, but there are some changes that are happening. There have been proposed budget cuts. Uh, to through the police force, you know something like over a billion dollars in New York City is being proposed, which you know, it it's good. There should be probably more police cuts, but a billion dollars being put back into the community is huge. Uh, in Minneapolis, they are no longer allowed to do chokeholds. They are now against against police rules to do chokeholds in Minneapolis. I don't know why you ever need a chokehold, but in Minneapolis, you can't do it anymore. All the police officers in Floyd's death have been charged. The guy who was kneeling on his neck and who killed him was uh, has been charged with a second-degree murder, and the other officers have been charged with, I think, 
aiding and abetting a murder. And then there was a video that went viral yesterday. It was uh, two Buffalo soldiers who pushed a 75-year-old man down on the ground. The man hit his, the back of his head. I think he's okay, luckily. But those two officers uh, have just been charged uh, with assault. And they are being fired. It was a terrible video. Oh, it was terrible. But they are being arranged today, and they've just been charged with assault. So you look at this, and without protests, a lot of this doesn't happen. So peaceful protest works. It gets results. And I think people should keep protesting until we get more results. Uh, because this is a good start, but it's not far. It's not far enough. And protesting works. So there is some good news in that protesting does work, and we are starting to see um, some small signs of hope. We have a long way to go, but small signs of hope are starting to appear. No, I think that's that's true. Protest does work, and and it's not just where it's not just protests for like we want free cake or something, right? These these are really important issues, and and like people are not protesting, like they're not protesting small things. They're protesting really important issues, and of, we're catching on video police murdering a man and then three other officers literally standing there i mean if i was there and i was a police officer i'd be like why are you on his they could have done so many other things they could have if they really wanted to detain him they could have detained him and sat him in the car they could have i don't know there's a myriad of different things they could have done except holding him down on his neck there's no excuse for that and there's no excuse for the other officers who stood by and watched it happen no excuse what are we going to look for going forward because of this because of all these things obviously we do not know when the protests are going to end or what outcome is going to happen next week or the week after but there's a few things that we can continue to monitor that will impact 2020 so number one politico wrote a piece and we're going to link it in the show notes too about how young blacks could be a problem for Biden in 2020. His support among young African-American voters was lower in the primaries. They usually opted for Bernie or Warren instead of Biden, while the older segment of African-American voters overwhelmingly voted for Biden. And he can garner that right now and help solidify his base by doing more shows like... (laughs) That, that segment with Charlemagne um, where he got himself into trouble, but also putting himself out there, putting putting a reason why young African-American voters should support Joe Biden and what he's going to do for them and how he's going to improve their lives, support the end of police brutality, support reforms for police forces around the country. There is a, a lot of work he can do here, but he's gonna that's going to be a really key segment that he's likely going to need Obama to help with for sure since Obama has such a high approval rating among that segment of voters. Number two, how does how do these protests continue into the summer as we go on, and what policies come out of this? We don't know what's going to happen, but Biden and Trump are both going to have to respond to the developments that these protests create, whether it's violent or nonviolent, which I hope happens nonviolent, and what impacts come out of that. So it's going to be a really fluid situation and they're going to have to respond accordingly to it. And it could get them both into trouble. It could get Trump into trouble, but it could get Biden into more trouble uh, just because Biden's not an idiot. <laughs> and um, number three, does this start the nosedive for Trump? Likely not, but his approval rating has definitely the mean approval rating. He's always gotten this like 40 to 45%. He's now closer to the 40% end of this in these polls. So 
is this core 40%, are we seeing some signs of cracks or defection among them? And that's something we're going to, it's likely not happening, but we need to keep an eye on it because the lower Trump gets, the more Republicans are going to see that. And maybe the more action they're going to be pushed back on Trump, maybe they're going to be like, we just can't deal with him anymore. Um, And it will likely empower more Republicans for Biden group, which could do damage um, because they know exactly how their side responds. So these are three key things to look out for. Josh, did I miss anything? Yeah, no, I think you hit it all. Um, there has been a group of former George W. Bush aides who have already come out saying they are pro-Biden and they're going to support Biden. I think that they made a super PAC for Biden. There was also another one called R, or was it like Republicans Not for Trump or something like that. And they put out uh, a 60-second ad in the swing states about Trump's lack of leadership. You know, this may start a nosedive, a nosedive for Trump because Trump, response is basically now that the uh, the economy added two and a half million jobs. He said yesterday or today, he said that today was a great day for George Floyd. I mean, he's so tone deaf on this stuff. He, you know, you can't make it up. And his, his, his Trump's approach seems to be, we're going to talk about the economy. When I talk about the economy, we're going to talk about how George Floyd would have loved this economy. And it's like George Floyd would love to be alive right now, you piece of shit. So we'll see how, how that goes. But Trump's not going to handle it well. So it's it, it's on Biden. Biden needs to handle this moment. And if his speech is anything like his speech in Philadelphia, I think he will meet the moment. He Biden is presidential. Trump's not. And it'll be important to look at Trump's approval ratings as these next couple weeks and months go by. And if he, you see him start to dip, see what that does for his no demeanor for his attitude. The other thing I would add is I think there's a growing sense amongst Republicans that Trump's handling of this is going to cost them the Senate. You look at uh, Colorado, Arizona, Maine, and North Carolina, you know, those are four states where Democrats are looking really good and they'll probably lose Doug Jones in Alabama, but they're also putting up a fight in Montana, in Iowa, in Georgia, there are some polls that have Lindsey Graham in South Carolina tied with his opponents. Um, not saying Dems are going to win all of those, but, you know, if Trump continues to mishandle this and Republicans go along with it, it's very easy for Dem and Dem uh, candidates to make money off of this, to run ads, and to just talk about how, you know, why is Lindsey Graham supporting Trump on this? You know, I mean, it's very easy to do that. So this will be a very, very interesting uh, summer, and we'll see who comes out of it uh, looking good, who comes out of it looking not so good. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And that if we win the Senate, there's if we win the Senate, keep the House, and win the presidency, there can be a lot of legislation enacted. It may not be all the legislation that is on paper that people want to do because there are going to be some debates and all that stuff, but there could be a lot of progress made. So I think that's a very important point. And I totally forgot that. Trump said yesterday that George Floyd was happy looking down at them. Oh my God. Just, I just, I went, I heard that too. And I said, are you kidding me? But this is the type of president we have. So if you don't like it, vote him out. And that's what we're exactly going to do. That's exactly what we're going to do. Well, um, I know this was a, a heavy, a heavy section. And again, 
we have the link in the show notes of ways that you can learn more about how to support Black Lives Matter groups and also donate if you have extra change to do that as well. So those are in the show notes. And for our life under lockdown, we are going to be talking about Drew Brees, and that's coming right up. So for life under lockdown, we're going to talk about Drew Brees. For those of you that don't know, Drew Brees is the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints in the National Football League. On Wednesday, Drew Brees uh, said that he was not going to uh, respect his uh, teammates and he will, quote, never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. So not a great statement from Drew Brees. He has since um, apologized and posted a long article about how he missed the mark, how he needs to learn to be more supportive, how he's going to take time to listen, how he stands with the black community, and uh, posted on Instagram a stock image of a black guy and a white guy shaking hands. So, you know, that's not great. And he released a, a second apology, you know, saying again that he stands uh, in the fight against uh, systematic racial injustice and police brutality. And this was a video, not an Instagram post. But he, quote, would have laid out what was on my heart in regards to the George Floyd murder. He, he wished he had done that. So, uh, you know, people make mistakes and his teammates have forgiven him. And people seem to kind of be okay with the, his apology. Uh, interestingly enough, Trump told Drew Brees that he should not apologize, that he should never apologize for anyone who who uh, doesn't stand for the American flag. And Drew Brees responded and was basically like, you need to take time to listen. We need to be more allies than we uh, are currently. But Hills, the question remains, how should famous people react to national tragedies? Thinking about sports figures and actors, obviously they're Americans and they're obviously hurt by this. But, um, you know, how, how do we think famous people should react to these national tragedies? Yeah, it's it's very interesting because, well, first of all, I think they should be genuine, right? Drew Brees genuinely felt, genuinely felt the way he did in that first video. And I'm glad that he was educated and listened because I think that's really important. And he apologized, which I think is important as well. I think they should be very genuine. And I think they, they're Americans and whether or not they're American or not, I mean, they're celebrities and they're allowed to say what they want. And that does come with consequences as well. I mean, you are a public figure who is either on a sports team or any whatever other entertainment industry or whatever you're doing. So it does come with consequences, speaking your mind and being genuine. However, you know, people do reward you for being genuine most of the time. I mean, it really depends on yeah. who your audience is and everything. So it's a really, it's a, it's calculated for each individual person, but especially about something like this, I think, I think it's important to say what you need to say. And if it comes with any backlash, at least you said what you needed to say. I mean, I, I wish it would be on the side of, you know, Black Lives Matter, <laughs> because I think the other side doesn't make quite a lot of sense at all. Um, and it's terrible. But again, LeBron said something back in the day, I think about whether it was, you know, uh, Trayvon Martin or and he was told to stay in their lane and shut up and dribble. But when a white celebrity athlete says something, he is allowed to and no one I don't know, it just there's a lot of, again, that's another thing that we're talking about here that it's not equal. Yeah, it's, it's a huge double standard. In Fox News, it was Laura Ingram who 
was freaking out that Drew Brees received all this backlash, which he should have received. I mean, you know, you're the quarterback of a city of New Orleans. New Orleans is in Louisiana. There's it's a heavily African-American population there. Like, you can't say <laughs> those kinds of things. And his teammates called him out on it, and he issued an apology. And Laura Ingram was beside herself that Drew Brees had to issue this apology, two apologies. When LeBron James makes a statement then he's told, like you said, to stay in your lane and shove and dribble. It's just, it's it's re- remarkable. And look, you're you're an athlete. You're a national figure. You know, run your message by somebody. <laughs> like, you know, run it by your wife or partner. Like, hey, does this sound okay? Am I going to get a ton of backlash for this? You know, just be smarter. And, and, you know, I don't have any ill will towards Drew Brees now. I'm glad that he apologized. I'm glad that he acknowledged the mistake that he made. But, uh... Famous people and people who have a big national profile should should use it for good. I think LeBron James is very active on social media, and he always has a very uh, thought-provoking post and uh, is always on the right side, and Drew Brees could learn something from LeBron James. But anyways, that is our Life Under Lockdown section. Be on the lookout for what celebs are tweeting about these days, and uh, your dessert is coming up next. Welcome to your dessert, and for your dessert today, we're going to be talking about Vice President VP Sweepstakes Round 2. We already talked about this a little bit in past episodes, but there are more developments, so uh, it's time to talk about Vice Presidents again. I love talking about Vice Presidents. I love the like the anticipation about this. I remember when Hillary Clinton <laughs> picked Tim Kaine, they like had reporters out everywhere, and they were like, Tim Kaine's in Boston. He can't make it to the rally, but then he took a charter flight. I don't know. I just love it. I love like the list and not knowing. Um, I don't. Know, it's exciting for me. Hey, don't judge me. It's exciting. <laughs> How I get my fun. So don't judge me. Well, given the racial tension in this country and polls showing that Biden is lacking support amongst young black voters, um, we thought it'd be a good use of our time to discuss um, the women, the black women he is considering for vice president and we chose four of them the the top four and you know there's a question is does he need to pick an african-american woman vice president and we're going to go through the pros and cons of what we think of each of these four candidates and what they could add and what they could subtract from the biden ticket i for one i do think he definitely probably needs to choose a person of color a woman of color so that's just me number one we have kamala harris so the pro is that her and Biden know each other. They, I believe, are friends. The pro is that she does bring a experience to the ticket. I mean, she was a attorney general, and she's the current senator from California. And I think she aligns with him on policy. And um, she does. She she speaks very eloquently, and I think they could work well together. The con, she has law enforcement background, which her record is going to be scrutinized every step of the way. And I don't know what her record entails, but if there's anything that can cause controversy, it will be amplified times a billion. So that could be a, a downfall of Kamala Harris. Yeah, I think her record on marijuana uh, is not great. Uh, next up is Stacey Abrams. A pro for Stacey Abrams is that she will definitely uh, galvanize the African-American movement. She will bring people together. She's a great organizer. Uh, she's a very, very popular inside the uh, Democratic establishment as something that people look forward to seeing a lot from her. So that can be Biden's bridge to the next generation. 
The con is Biden has said time and time again he wants someone with experience who's ready to take on the job if anything should happen to the president. Stacey Abrams really doesn't have any experience, especially not at the national level. She has experience at the uh, state level, but she only she has the national uh, experience that Biden is looking for. I love Stacey. I think she's a super intelligent woman. I think she should be. She should currently be governor of Georgia. And but you're right. There is that like. There is that small national experience part where she doesn't have it yet. And if she was governor, I think she would be the top pick, honestly, yep. at the moment. Yep, I totally agree. But third is Val Demings, the pro. Val Demings is from a swing state of Florida. She is young. She was part of the impeachment process that put through Trump. She's very, very popular. She was also the first African-American uh, police chief in, uh, in the Orlando-Tampa area. Uh, which, you know, given all this, all the police brutality and stuff, she has been very, very harsh on police officers saying they need to rethink everything. She's my top pick currently. Uh, but the con is she has a law enforcement background. And if there's any kind of bad thing that she did or any kind of uh, any, any uh, level of unrest that people didn't like about her, if there was any kind of murder rates increased, racial injustice, uh, her, her record is going to be scrutinized just like Kamala Harris. So there is that is a bit of a something you have to think about with Val Demings. Hopefully the betting team will be able to do that and get out ahead of it. But that is something that to consider with Val Demings is her law enforcement background. Yeah, I think I think you you made a good point about there. And I think let's say there isn't anything in her law enforcement background that impacts her her vice presidential slot. I think also just thinking about the optics, like the the optics of Biden choosing a former police chief, even if she's been a great one. It could rub the wrong way, which I'm not sure about or not. We just have to see how the mood goes. But, it, you know, it really depends on everything. But she's certainly a do not sleep on Val Demings, for sure. The last one we have is Susan Rice. Susan Rice was uh, Obama's former um, national security advisor and, and, you know, worked in the Obama administration. The pros is that she is, well, she was part of the Obama administration. She has experience working on very high-level issues. She's from Maine, um, which I don't know will help her or hurt. I mean, there's that one congressional district there. She would be a very a very thoughtful vice president. I think she can handle issues very well. There are cons. She doesn't have quite a national profile. Uh, on the right, on the conservative side, she's part of a bunch of conspiracy theories. Her name is like popped up a bunch with these really insane conspiracy theories. So Republicans know her very well because they think that she's involved in some massive undercover stuff but that could be a con that could be a very easy firing firing squad for republicans to aim at susan rice and also she's not i mean some people know her but she i don't think she would excite young turnout especially young black turnout so i don't know if that if she's the quite the right candidate in this in these four there are other African-American candidates. I think the, the the fifth one who may or may not be on the list is Keisha Lance Bottoms. She's the mayor of Atlanta. But I haven't, I've only seen her on one or two lists, but she could be a potential pick too. Josh, I have a question for you. This is not in our outline. Of mm-hmm. these four, which one do you think Biden should choose? Oh, I already said Val Demings. Oh, Val, oh, Val Demings. Uh, absolutely, yeah, right. absolutely. Who do you think else? If I had to choose, oh boy. Man, I want to say Stacey Abrams, but I think it would be Kamala Harris. Okay. I think 
Kamala also, I think, if if there's something in her record that is a little bit unsavory, I think she could do the work to make amends with it because she is a national political figure. So I think she does have the experience to like get over it. That's so, true. So yeah, I think I think she could work through that. So I think it would be Kamala Harris, and she's also, by the way, the the odds favorite for VP picks. True. Um, but Josh, do you want to talk about Kyle Kondik from the UVA Center for Politics has a list of 10 women. Do you want to go through Yes. That? So his list of 10 women, and this, this is uh, his order for what he thinks by the likeliest picks. Not necessarily who he thinks, but the likeliest picks. So we'll start with 10 and go up. So number 10, he has Stacey Abrams. Uh, number 9, he has Maggie Hassan. Hassan. She's from a senator from New Hampshire. Uh, Gretchen Whitmore is number eight, governor of uh, Michigan. Number seven is uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham, and she is uh, the current governor of New Mexico. Uh, six is Gina Raimondo, who is the current governor of Rhode Island. Don't know what she has to the ticket. <laughs> I don't even think she should be on this list, to be honest with you. She has not been a great governor. Number five is Tammy Baldwin, who is... The senator from uh, my mind's blanking on where she's from. It's 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 the it's the great state of Wisconsin. It's the Mid- I knew it was the, the Midwest. So okay, Wisconsin, perfect. Uh, number th- number four is Elizabeth Warren, who we all know is senator from Massachusetts. Number three is Tammy Duckworth. She is a senator from Illinois. Number two is Val Demings, and number one is Kamala Harris. So that is uh, Kyle Kondik's list of uh, the likeliest picks, one through ten, uh, vice president uh, choices for Joe Biden. Interesting that Stacey is number ten. Yeah. But I, you know, after talking about it, you know, there, there is some reason why. I'm surprised that uh, Gina Raimondo is number, number six. I just... <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't get that. I really think the problem with Stacey Abrams is, as we said, Biden has said time and time again, he wants someone who can take over on day one. And I don't think Stacey Abrams has that experience. I think she, if she was the current governor of Georgia, like she should be, uh, then I think uh, that she's the easy number one choice. But, you know. Uh, anyways, that was your dessert. We have the answer to your pre-dinner shot coming up next. So we now have the answer to your pre-dinner shot that we gave you all the way back at the beginning of the podcast. If you need a refresher, the question was, name the three reported states that have offered to host the RNC. Again, the RNC is scheduled to be hosted in North Carolina, but North Carolina has said they won't host it the way that Trump wants. So three governors have come out in three states, and they have said, hey, Trump, come here, because you can just have your uh, convention here, because we don't care about our people. So the first state, the first governor, is Brian Kemp, who is the governor of Georgia. Georgia has come out and said, Trump, come on down to Georgia and we can uh, just you can have your convention here. The second one is Ron DeSantis of Florida, who has said you can come on down to Florida where everything is happening right now and uh, you can uh, have your convention here. And the third one is Pete Ricketts who is the governor of Nebraska, because nothing screams a fun convention like going to Nebraska. So those are uh, the three Those are the three people, uh, three states. There may have been others who have come out, but at the time of recording, 
those three have been officially reported as uh, offering up their states. I think two of them make sense. I think Florida is a battleground state. Trump has Mar-a-Lago there, so it wouldn't be surprised me if he uh, started going to Florida. I think Georgia also makes sense. I think Georgia is developing as, 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 as a swing state. There are two Georgia Senate elections. Neither are great chances for Dems, but, you know, there's that. Nebraska makes no sense. I think Pete Ricketts is trying to, you know, cozy up to Trump. But there you have it. That is your pre-dinner shot question or answer. So what would you bet, Josh? Where Where is it going to be? Man, I think it's going to be in uh, Nebraska. Just kidding. Uh, I think it's gonna. I, I think I think they'll probably move it to Florida. I think if they move it at all, they also might just not move it. It's, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. It's a huge pain in the butt to move your convention two months before it's scheduled uh, to a different state. But if they do move it, I think it'll be to Florida. What do you think, Hills? I agree with you. Yeah, I think it'll be at Mar-a-Lago. No, but honestly, uh, it'll be somewhere at a Trump-affiliated place. You oh, believe that? You better believe it, because if he's gonna yeah. lose, he's gonna definitely uh, get that money in. So, okay, pocket the RNC money while he goes down. <laughs> but that was a good question. That was a very good question. Very, uh, very timely. Especially, we'll le- we'll learn more in the next two weeks. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, Hills. One last thing before we go. Uh, breaking news, uh, the governor of Iowa has just signed a bill that implements a poll tax for anyone who was a former felon. If you're a former felon in Iowa, um, you uh, now have to pay a poll tax if you want to vote in Iowa. So there are now extreme protests going on in Iowa. So something to watch over the weekend is Iowa and what uh, the governor does with that bill about implementing a poll tax. I feel like that's illegal, right? Aren't poll taxes it, God, illegal? it sure should be. I think poll taxes are illegal, but I think it's not for everyone. It's only if you are a felon and it's being framed as like you're paying back the state for your time in the penitentiary. I don't know. It, it, it just came out. So. Well, Florida just tried this too, and they got struck down. So there's going to be more to come on that for sure. Yeah. I'm Boy, sure. I didn't. I don't think the former felon population is very high in Iowa, so I wonder why <laughs> that happened. Well, hey, I've been saying don't sleep on Iowa. All it's true. Time. Do not sleep on Iowa. Thank you for listening to episode 26 today. And before you go, we have a few important messages for you. The intro and the outro music is by Brett Hillsberg, and the transition music is by Joseph McDade. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy listening to us and laughing with us and crying with us please subscribe it really would help and you get all the episodes quickly in your podcast app tell your friends to listen and if you can share this episode on social media so more people know about it and if you have any questions you can email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com thank you all for listening today and we'll be back soon bye guys have a good one